This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Zupan's, the local market in Portland for years, especially now. Oh yeah, you're not going to find a more local market than Zupan's. Right, you can you can look around and right? find out who owns who, and you're going to find local Portland ownership oh, at yeah. Zupan's. Well, not going to find that anywhere else for a great large market like Zupan's. Right. So, if you go to zupans.com and sign up at the news feed who wouldn't want a free coro salami stick with a $20 purchase so that's december 13th through the 15th mm-hmm. that's this weekend that's an exclusive offer and deal one of the many that you can get if you subscribe to the news feed at zupans.com and while you're there take advantage of their holiday ordering i've talked about it for years this is something i love to do why work and slave in the kitchen around the holidays christmas or hanukkah let Zupans do the work for you ahead of time. Why slave in the kitchen anytime? Yeah. Let Zupans do it all year round. All right. They got great side dish packages, rib roast, Loretta jeans, pies, and much more. Uh, Zupans.com slash holiday is where you can go. Or just stop by the concierge uh, table they have inside your local Zupans. Right. And there you'll find out that you have. there's a one-day seafood sale this Saturday, mm-hmm. December 14th at all stores. We'll talk about exactly where those are in a moment, but you're going to get Dungeness Crab, buy one pound Columbia River salmon fillets, and get one free. That's nice. That's pretty awesome. And lo- have you ever had the lobster tails there? No. They're, so they're very reasonable. Yeah. And just to add it to a meal or just put it over, I like to put it over some pasta with some butter. It's awesome. Lobster tails and more. More details at zoopans.com or at the three locations. You got McAdam. You've got Lake Oswego. You've got West Burnside and always... Well, we just said. Yeah. Zupans.com. Force a habit. Here it is. Time once again. Portland's Food Scene Podcast for another week. It's right at the fork. And over there... Mm-hmm. You, yes, are Court Johnson, I'm Mr. Get, Court Johnson. I'm getting top billing in this episode. Yeah, I think you should. It's been, dude, six years. Yep, six I keep years. Saying that, but I just can't believe it. Right, because it's actually been longer than that. We started this. The first episode came out in 2014, January. Right, but we actually started working on that in the, uh, late 2013. Right, exactly. Yeah, Miss uh, Mrs. Heather Jones, mm-hmm. who takes credit for all of this. Well, Absolutely. most of it. Most Some of it. of it. Yep. <laughs> the hard work of organizing it together. Of putting it all together yep. without her without her spark. Yep. This, not, this would not have happened. Yep. So we uh, wish her well. Yep. Absolutely. Too. I'm Court Johnson. That's Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. And right at the fork. And, I like and, I like to be host of right at the fork. Sure. Should I, should I start co-host, saying that? Co-host. Co-host. Yeah. You're, you're good. You're, I, I say you're host. I'm co-host. Yeah, well, we have to find a way for you to be less busy so that you can do more <laughs> coasting. Because I've heard your interviews on Kink, the 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 Portland Fifty, sure, some of those they're great. Yeah, you're a great interview. Right. So to not use your talent, we're really missing the boat. Because I don't have any talent. This, so what, what 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 are we doing here? I I, I will say this briefly because it's completely off subject. But speaking of those interviews, I actually interviewed one of the founding members of Stone Temple Pilots the other day. Uh-huh. Had a pretty decent conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Got off the phone. Got immediately called by his manager and said, "Hey, he'd like to delete about half of what oh, he Jesus. said." We've had that a couple of times. Sure. So um, and we're kind of and le- the the. The proviso on that is if you're going to get in trouble with the law, we'll delete right, it. Right, sure. Or if one of your best friends is never going to talk to you again, yeah. that will delete we'll that. Do. But on the other hand, it's not easy to go through and start chopping because then you're, you've got things out of context. You get, you get things out of context, and we, we want it to just to be a real natural conversation. And we don't want to spend additional four hours that's, on an episode. That's actually the the biggest reason right there. <laughs> right. Like, oh, where did he say that? Now I got to go. Find well, it. one of the things that I really love about doing this podcast, as long as we're talking about it, is, you know, I used to write for David Bentley's publication. Yeah, about, it was About Face. And now it's Portland's Interview Magazine. Yeah. But, um, and I think I'm going to be in there next year. Oh, nice. They, they interviewed me. So, um, but I... 
have an hour conversation with someone, which was about 10,000 words, mm-hmm. and I had to cut it down to 1,500 words, which means you're getting 10% because oh, yeah. the 1,500 included an intro. Sure. You're getting 10% of what they said, and I did. it took a long time to edit and decide, do I want to make this person look as bad as they could look, or do we want to make them look great? Right. One of the, you know, I've, I've got some interesting stories about that. But here on the podcast, it is what it is. It's just real. Yeah. It's out there. And you get to hear voices, inflections, and I like the Occasional it phone ringing. And who reads nowadays, anyway? Oh, right. <laughs> we just want to listen. So yeah. I really like that aspect of po- the podcast. I'm glad we started this before anybody generally knew what a podcast was. Sure. Um, and now we're there's so many podcasts. Yep. We should do an episode on favorites because we have to just we have to just lay it down and say hey we're not going to get real territorial about this what are some of our favorites right so you do one you do you do a a podcast as well do a podcast with my wife on holy matrimony yeah it's on it's currently on hiatus we've been traveling too much and unable to that's the thing about podcasts and that's the thing we've been able to do is stay consistent so i'm 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 a better uh, podcast partner with you than i am with my own wife well i'm no comment there and then so, um, but you know, you, but your podcast is great, um, Unholy Matrimony and it's fun to listen to. Anyway, let's talk about this podcast. Yep. Um, and if we're talking about the Portland food scene, I would, ha- I, I think we can safely say that Michelle Batista is in the middle of it Oh yeah. at the Nightwood Society. Yep. So they're, they've got their fingers in a lot, um, or should I say they're ladles in a lot of pots right. or whatever. How do you say that? Irons and a lot of fires. Oh, I think all of those works. Right. So, uh, but the Nightwood Society, um, as we talk about when uh, in this podcast, when it first opened and I read about it, I wasn't so sure what it was other than something taking the space where Chessa used to be. Right. And uh, boy, they've developed it into something incredible. They Mm -hmm. do great events both in that space and outside the space. They'll put lots of things together. They have you can learn a lot through them, and Michelle is just great. And uh, it was an easy interview because yeah. she's so easy to talk to. Um, and we started out in an um, area that I told myself as I was driving here, I'm not going to go there. And that's uh, quite well, it was yeah <laughs> it was we subject went. number one right right off the bat. So um, I think it's really interesting and. Um, uh, it was the first opportunity I've had, other than at some food events, just saying hi and chatting with her a little bit, mm-hmm. and a little something we did a few years ago. But uh, first opportunity I've had to have a nice long conversation with Michelle. Enjoy it, and uh, I, I hope it's politically correct enough for everybody. Fingers crossed. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. Can we talk about this before, just so we can decide whether we want to do this? But I here's my little example of sure. my question. But then I realized, and I stop and realize, well, wait a minute. My mother, right? So she went to the University of Michigan. So this goes back to the 40s and 50s. And she had a degree in art, a college degree. And so she would have been an awesome creative director Something the best she could do then right. was a secretary to my misogynist asshole father, mm-hmm. right? Who was like right up in the madman area doing everything, sure. all that shit for years. And then, um, so I realize, you know, on behalf of her, this has been going on forever. So when I hear things like women only, this is women's night out, even as simple as women's night out. If I said men's night out, I know I would, cr- I would hear the ire of women. I don't know if that's true. Okay. There are men's groups 
there have been men's groups well, for that's centuries. The thing. That's the problem. And, they, and it still continues. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's when there is um, open discrimination that there becomes a problem. Yeah. But I don't think having a men's group or a women's group where people gather based on their gender on is anything. a bad thing. On, or anything. on anything. Gender or interests. Totally. Uh, anything. So I, I think the problem becomes when there's a men's night out in spite Different. Of, uh, to, like to be to purposely do it because oh there's a women's night then we got to have a men's night That's... which then which then could mm. be about women's bashing I've, or men's right. bashing I'm also yeah, yeah. I'm also not yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of any bashing because I I truthfully love both genders I do too <laughs> and I I think I generally love women more than men so you know just, I would agree with that so on, uh, on the whole I'd rather aside from all the political stuff I think we need uh, I, I agree with certain people that I've heard talk about this we need a women's sensibility in charge of affairs in the world someone who's not generally speaking and I don't mean to be sexist by saying this automatically reaching for the military solution the diplomatic solution would be way better totally so and, I, and and I think that part of the I think that part of the issue that presents itself is that we need, we need both masculine and feminine. All of us need masculine and feminine traits. It's just part of what makes us balanced humans. We know that to be true if you follow any sort of psychological school of thought or any great philosopher. They will tell you that we, the more balanced we get, equal parts, the better we are as humans. And I think that traditionally women take on masculinity easier and without ego, then men will oh, assume femininity. Absolutely. So there goes the the biased slant right there. Well, and there goes the equilibrium. Right. Equilibrium. That's like have, me saying that's like me saying peculiar, which is the Pecu- hardest word. We will we'll try to keep it away from peculiar. Don't, let's not use that word. I just had a problem. Peculiar. Peculiar. It's a weird word. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's interesting that we were actually talking about that when we said we won't. Half of my life is don't say this, don't say this, and then it's coming out of my mouth. And that, again, is my mother's influence. My feminine influence is, you know, saying things that probably I should. I think we should be talking about this. I think that men and women should be able to have this dialogue without it being the great debate or an argument. I, I think we tend to shy away from all of these issues because somehow we've put so much weight on them and especially then, lately especially lately and everybody's right. now afraid of saying the wrong thing so people don't say anything well that's not going to help us go forward yeah no you're right and i tend to you know i know that there are actual people listening to this podcast and it was pointed out to me a long time ago there are people that don't know me and same thing with you mm-hmm. who are listening to you right now but people who don't know us you can say one thing right and just, and by the way, it could be mistaken. It's the type of thing that you or I could say, I didn't mean to say that. I really didn't mean that. Right. And you're stuck with it. It's already for, out for there. For life. So, um, I'm not, do- I'm not very good about editing myself. Yeah. Well, that's what, I don't know. Is that a feminine trait? I don't know, but I am I not. Oh, I don't know that, what that, that was, is. I've, I always have said I got that from my mother, mm-hmm. whether she was, you know, she, as a matter of fact, was a woman, mm-hmm. but. That's the trait I got from my mother is that she would she would say she wasn't going to say something and immediately blurt out to the waiter something, the server. Um, oh, wrong word. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, I think it's okay. Well, now I always worry about when you say server, you're talking about a computer things. People are going to mess that up. So anyway, um, no, it is good to talk about this and I'm glad to talk about it with you. And um, so then as we're going to talk about that, then why don't we, in the global perspective of Michelle, talk about the Nightwood Society and why, how long you had that idea and mm-hmm. why you had that idea. What, what do you think in your life uh, were the factors that were the foundations for, hey, let's, let's create this place for women to thrive? Yeah. Um, it's a long, it was a very long journey. Um, I think you and I have talked about before, but I come from the design world. Uh, but I was very interested in food at a young age and grew up p- part of my life on a farm. And I, I think I took for granted how much of an impact that that time had on me with my grandparents in Virginia on their farm growing food. But I wasn't from a, a food family. Food was sustenance. Food was, they grew food in trade. It was a, it was a bartering system. 
Um, my grandparents traded for everything, you know, meat for vegetables, butter for cheese, eggs for whatever. And so... Was it ever for car repairs? Was it always a food-oriented no, transaction? They, no, they always did their own repairs. They were... Uh, well, they, I meant just, uh, did it always have to do with food? Did they barter whatever oh, they sure. had on their farm for sure. to for school books? I don't sure. know. And this, they lived in the Blue Ridge Mountains in, in a oh, small awesome. town called Galax, Virginia. Where? Galax, Virginia. Hmm. Small. Beautiful. I, well, I've been through the Blue Ridges a few times. It was, it's yeah, a blip. Many years. <laughs> well, it's a blip yeah, of but a still, town. It's, gorgeous. It's gorgeous. So, yeah. yeah, my parents used to live in Savannah from Connecticut. I would take that route. So, you to, probably passed by. Uh, that's I mean, why I mentioned the farm it. had a mailbox at the end of the road, and then it was a mile down the drive uh, hmm. that you could only get to with a four-wheel drive vehicle, so. And how many brothers and sisters? I have two sisters and two stepsisters, but the stepsisters lived in that part of the country. My sisters lived and still live in Ohio. So I kind of grew up an only child, which was also interesting because when my mom and stepfather remarried in Ohio, they relocated us to Florida, So, and I'm the only one that went. So my stepsisters stayed in Virginia and North Carolina, and my sisters stayed in Ohio. So then I was sort of taken away from the greater family and grew up then with my mother and my stepfather, full-time the only child. How long in Florida? At what point in your life? We moved to Florida from Ohio when I was eight, and then I stayed until university. So. What? You you took a journey through all the swing states. Did you include you know Pennsylvania in that too? I mean, so... It's a, that was a funny time when well, I think about it. You weren't thinking politically then, but now no. you look back and you go, well, can these people get their shit together, please? I think the interesting thing about my childhood is that I never felt that I was in the right place or I fit in. Mm. I didn't feel like I fit into my Ohio family. I didn't really feel like I fit in in the South. I definitely did not feel like Florida was home. I hate, I hated and still hate the heat. Um, and my, I have Alaska family, my, my mother's side of the family homesteaded from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Alaska in the forties. Wow, still we're going on, well, not necessarily Alaska. <laughs> um, and so my, my Alaska family always still to this day says that I, I run Alaskan blood. I was never meant for mm -hmm. so hot Southern states like Florida. <laughs> well, you're close now, Pacific Northwest. Exactly. So, I mean, when I found when I finally got here, which was after university, after I spent my time in New York, it, that's when it started to feel like home. The West feels like home to me. And how long ago was that? 98. Oh, good good bit of time here mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I, same thing for me. Yeah. Like all this time. Always this, right, this right was to the, the coast or in the city first for you? Oh, I was suburban Connecticut. But when you moved out West, did you move? Oh, I moved to uh, Port okay. Portland area. Gotcha. Again, there's, there you go, go back to our... Um, roots, you know, you never, uh, when you're in Connecticut, say I'm from Darien because immediately people go, oh, right. And same thing with Lake Oswego, you know, I had certain school reasons right. to land there, but in retrospect, I don't think I would have moved there, but I think it's a beautiful place. I think yeah. it's got a bad rap automatically, but it's a beautiful place. Right. Um, but anyway, no. So I got my footing in Portland before I went out to the coast. So I know my way around here. I know lots of people and I'm really glad I didn't move directly out to the coast, which was my first thought when I mm. fell in love with it one day, you right. know, one hour, one minute. But look, you ended up there anyway. Yeah, now no, I both. knew, I kind of knew I wanted to. I didn't set that as my goal, but it happened, which is good. And I'm here too. So yeah. I'm not just. Totally. I'm both, you know, so. I, I, told, I have a house at the coast. Did I tell you that? Yeah. I have a house in Pacific City. Yeah. How often are you there? Never. I mean, a, f a handful of times a year. Why, now, so what do you have to do you would you ra would you like to be there more than you are? Mm, I don't. You just it's not. It. It, no, it's not really the coast. I love the coast, but I grew up in Florida again, so I like warm water. I want to be swimming, so I find it's different here for me. It's beautiful, but I don't really spend time out there. Mm -hmm. My have kids your... have grown up there. I mean, I bought the house when I was pregnant with my first daughter, who's now thirteen. So they've been going there vacationing there for years. Mm -hmm. um, so for them, I, I feel like it's more for them. I bought it for them. It's for them. It's to give to them. It was never really for me. Mm. I would rather be in the Valley. I would rather have a little vineyard or a little farm out in Carlton. Or Maybe you will. Maybe I will. 
But so let's get back to Nightwood Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I started to transition from design life, uh, about probably about eight years ago now was when I really made a decision that I wanted to work in food. And then that next chapter was trying to find a way into the, into food, how I would feed my family and, and pay my, I was already a consultant. I've been consulting for almost 20 years at this point. And, and most people don't know what that is because consulting encompasses so many different. Well, I'm a designer. Things. So all of my work has been in the creative field. So building brands, designing products, merchandising, go to market, how I'm really good at taking something or making something and then bringing it to life and putting it into the world. That's my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. So that can be including children, including children, molding, molding it. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I do every day. Um, And so when, when I decided that I wanted to move from consumer goods like shoes and clothes and watches and bags and work in something that was tangible, but it goes away, right? Food is a very, I have a very different relationship with the idea of food because I came into it from a different lens. I didn't mm-hmm. study food. I didn't, I, I'm not a chef. You're not a chef, right. I'm not, uh, I'm, I didn't go to school for hospitality and restaurants. I just had a love for food as thing and as story. And for me, that's what food is about. Food is about story. And truthfully, I am a storyteller. I might be designing a cup, but the whole process of de- designing a cup is how you're going to experience the thing inside of it and your emotional attachment to the cup. Do you think that your living in Oregon and Portland specifically helped you to find that love of food and give it more meaning? Because Definitely. you could be living in, you know, for lack of a better spot, Little Rock, Arkansas, sure. and not necessarily. Yeah, how would I even that? do this here? Yeah, well, I'm 100%. Right. And, I, and I think. When I moved from Florida to New York to go to school, New York opened up. There was no, I mean, I lived in a food desert in Florida and with a family that didn't care about food the way that I wanted to care about food. Great citrus. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Meat. A lot of meat. And you get some good alligator. I, alligator bites aren't bad. Yeah. You got to fry them. Well, up here, you have to be in (laughs) Portland to finally realize that, right? But I didn't also... My food reality in Galax, Virginia, very different than my food mm-hmm. reality in Florida. My food reality in Florida was about processed foods and supermarkets and packaged microwave meals and overcooked barbecue. My reality in Virginia was everything was cooked on the farm. Everything was jarred and canned. We were eating seasonally everything, curing country hams in the back. Like It was very different. And so I think that imprint led me to at least, I had the foundation of what, food was. And then we moved to Florida and that wasn't present. And then when I got to New York, that opened up a whole new world of ethnic foods and different types of experiences with food and, and design and while design. you're at it. So. Yeah. And I was going to school for fashion. I mean, I'm a fashion designer by, by trade. So, um, I started working for Adidas in New York. Nice jacket, by the Thank way. You. Nice coat. It's like a, it's very nice. It's like a, it's my coat robe. It's like if it I want to be if I want to be enveloped in a blanket on a on a on a cool winter day. This is what I wear. It's yeah. It is. It's <laughs> well good that you came to be comfortable. May I take a picture of for course. our um, for our thumbnail and with a big smile on your face? That's perfect. Always. Thank you. Um, Half the time I forget. So. <laughs> so so then when I came out here, I was fully interested. I was you know a foodie quote unquote, I'm using my fingers. I know you guys can't see me, but um, I was definitely would consider myself in pursuit of good food. And when I got here, it was the nineties. It was different, but it was definitely happening. I mean, that was the age of Genoa, Paley's, Wildwood, um, yeah, Zephyro. Yeah, but it wasn't a food mecca yet. No, it, it wasn't was just, a mecca. It just had some great restaurants. We had some great large, chefs and some great restaurants. City Higgins, would have. Right. Yeah, they're still around, man. Ubers. That, right. I mean, the, the classics, right? But I think that that was, um, it was more intimate than New York. And I think that having dinner, like treating myself, taking what disposable income I had at that time as sort of a a young designer at Adidas at the time, and then spending that money on food and in the pursuit of food really, really solidified my love for the experience of restaurants and dining with friends out. And, And then I started cooking. And then you have the farmer's market. Once I discovered the farmer's market, 
and everything we could get here and learning about the seasons moving from the East Coast to the West Coast was a huge adventure of figuring out seasonality and what different products we had here and going to the markets and joining a CSA. All of that was new when I came to Portland. It wasn't just about the restaurants. It was about where where food was grown, mm-hmm. going out to Hood River and doing the Fruit Loop. Those things were were very impactful experiences for me. And then when I decided that, okay, I'm tired of working on another set of sneakers or another season of clothing and that I wanted to invest in experience, food was the obvious channel for me. Then I had to figure out how to make money doing it. Um, doesn't pay as well in the beginning necessarily. And and maybe that is or isn't true, but you have to dig a little deeper and find the right, also find the right alliances because I wasn't interested in working with big industrialized food brands. That would mm-hmm. have been also a different conversation. Right. And that doesn't define what we, what's so unique about Portland now right. and was developing at the time. Totally. So anyway, over the next eight years, I actually, the first inroad to food was that I got a a consulting gig with a footwear brand that was at at the time called Mozo. Uh, It was, it was owned by a company in Santa Barbara at the time called Deckers. It's been sold now, but they asked me to come in and manage the brand and, and the product line. And I said, no, about four times. I think that I knew I, my, consultancy was thriving at the time. And I think I knew one, it was going to be a lot of work. And two, honestly, I was a little bit afraid about what road that was going to take me down. Uh, And after the fourth time I flew to New York, um, we had four sort of celebrity chefs on the docket. And I flew to New York with the president of the company and the marketing director at the time and met with those four chefs in New York with their agent. And we were sitting in one of the one of their restaurants for the morning meeting. And by the end of the day, I was like, oh, this is this is totally me. This is what I want to be doing. And uh, I said then I said yes to the gig. And that was the real that was really the beginning of this food adventure. And then that allowed me, you know, in all of their kitchens and helping them build their brands and. Um, then I started traveling and doing different shows with them and, you know, food events. And I just, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And what year was that? Oh, that would have been 2013, 2012, 2013. That's more recently than I thought. Yeah. 2012, I think was when I signed the contract with them. Okay. And then, and then you segue there from specifically into Portland food world. Right. That was a little bit of a different journey. <laughs> right. Well, there's obviously a story there. The way, the, the way that your face just changed, uh, it changed yeah. very much. So what happened in Portland? Um, I fell in love with somebody that also loved food and that really changed my life forever. Um, that that love is gone, but the impact is still there. So I am forever grateful for that. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about Mr. French. Yep. <laughs> Jason French, for those of you who aren't aware, who's been on this podcast. Yep. Once or twice, I think, and is an interesting individual. So um, that's a really, you know, I, I, I wrote an article about him once mm-hmm. and said that he could have been, at the time, still could be, I guess, um, Portland's ambassador, Portland's oh, food ambassador. Oh, I remember ambassador. that. I think I I did the creative for the restaurant and for for a number of years, and I think I pulled that quote um, for the website. It might even still be. On oh, there. I've been quoted before. That's <laughs> we'll pretty cool. Yeah, it might still. Yeah, it depends on how quickly anything's been updated. I don't even know where that is, and the magazines changed. But at any rate, um, that that was a good place to. Yeah, fuck. I mean, it was great. It. Um, and and the restaurant still, you know, I miss it. I miss the restaurant. I miss the food. Uh, and then we opened Elder Hall together, which is the event space that's behind um, Ned Ludd, if you've knocked mm-hmm. in there. And that was my first build. And that was my, I mean, that was my baby. And we built, um, I had an office upstairs for Stockpot, which is the name of the consultancy. So I suppose if I bring up the fact that I still have a golden ticket from the Kickstarter for that, do and you? I haven't used it, and I don't know where it is. You should it, totally it got, do that. It got lost. Is there a record of it somewhere? Oh, yeah, in the Kickstarter. Yeah, it never goes away. Awesome. <laughs> you should call him. 
Yeah, I'm sure he'd love that would be the the first call in a couple of years. Hey, Jason, by the way, I, I think I actually ticket. have done that. I've sent that email somewhere along the way. Probably. At any rate. Now, beautiful space. We are pausing here, Chris, to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Love the place. And whether you're in the dining room or the bar, always a seller experience. I have to say... Um, we've been going there for a little while now. Yeah. I mean, of their 75 years, I know, you know, I think I first went there when we moved out here years ago and then for some special occasions and along the way, but lately been going quite a bit and, uh, we had a new server. He wasn't new, but new to me. Right. Scott was, was just provided such a wonderful thing and it calls into light, uh, brings into light how wonderful the service is at ringside, no matter who is your who is taking care of you it's always done with um the utmost care Mm -hmm. and pleasantness i think i've had scott a couple of times yeah i haven't yeah that was the first time great it was great and then then of course there's jimmy in the bar Mm -hmm. and andy in the bar angelica in the bar yeah uh, all these you, great you go people. to the bar a lot there, Chris. No, I don't, but I, w- I was there last night. That's why it's all coming to mind. Um, and so in the bar now, at happy, they have a happy hour. For the first hour they're open, the bar menu is half off. And one of the things, a couple of things come to mind, shrimp cocktail, half off. Yep. And also their burger is fantastic. Yeah. The, uh, the happy hour is technically, just for happy hour in general, is Monday through Saturday, 9.30 to close. Then Sunday from 4 to 5, that first hour they're open. But then the bar menu is half price right. the first hour they're open, and then during happy hour. And that's new. Yes. That's all that's, new. So. That's part of the whole the whole part of the 75-year celebration, the redo of the whole place. And it's just, if you haven't been there in a while, go, because you're going to find something, A, that you remember fondly, and also something brand new. Right. And the, they have the most comfortable seats in the bar. You're not going to want to leave either. Right. So I think they do that on purpose. Yeah, I think there's probably a method to that yep. non-madness. It's great. So Ringside Steakhouse, and of course, this is holiday time. There's nothing better you can do for someone than get them a Ringside gift card right. for the holidays. Yeah. And so what you should know is right now with the gift cards, if you purchase 300 in gift cards for Ringside, there's a $50 bonus card in it for you. So you can use that for yourself. You can use the whole 350 for yourself. So just get a little added value. And also, if you buy $500 in gift cards to uh, Ringside, there's a $100 bonus card in it for you. And that, the bonus cards are valid for January and February 2020. So you got to get there soon, which is a great idea anyway. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking about all of the lobster mashed potatoes I could eat with, with that extra money. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a lot you can do with oh, that. Yeah. But, but even if you're not getting uh, gifts for people, which I think is a great idea. Sure. But hedge your bet on going to ringside and get some extra value. 100 bucks for 50 That uh, What's the math there? 100 20%. Something like that. No. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah. Ringside Steakhouse is the website. That's where you can get the gift cards. You can also book your next reservation there right on the website. Right. Perfect. And if this went a little long, (laughs) Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Ringside. You've been very good to us. Thank you you very much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what what um, an interesting concept or a really cool concept in Portland to build build on the Ned Ludd Mm -hmm. imagery and brand to get into elder hall yeah so then we when jason and i um split about i guess that's been two and a half years ago now i've lost track of time uh i've left the businesses and i realized very quickly that i felt like i had lost a piece of my soul in a way um without without the staff without the kitchen without my my purveyors and farmers it was this huge missing hole. And at that point, and you can't get that at any restaurant in every restaurant in Portland. No, I mean there was a certain, definitely at where you were, there was a real bond with the totally. outside food world, mm-hmm. that restaurant. Yeah. And, and I, at that point I had, so my, my best, my best friend, my dear friend and business partner, Katie Reardon, um, I had actually met her along this food path. Her boyfriend, Tamar, was a chef. He actually um, was with the Bokey Bowl crew, um, very dear friends. And so he was 
cooking for Bokey Bowl and um, Jason was obviously at Ned Ludd and we did an event in Austin, an Indie Chefs Week event in Austin. And Tamar, I had never met Tamar before and I'd never met Katie, but I was standing across from Tamar like picking herbs or something and, you know, for hours and we were chatting and about an hour into talking, he said, you know, I, I think you're really going to like my girlfriend, Katie. <laughs> you guys are a lot alike. And he was like, oh, she's coming tonight. So Katie and I actually met the first time in Austin at a food event vis-a-vis the, the boyfriend's. Um, Which is also kind of meeting in Portland. It's similar. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's I mean like, Austin's a little a I mean, little bit like Portland. It feels for sure. like that. Yeah. Um, so we became really good friends about six years ago. Uh, our friendship started. And then about four years ago, Katie, we were having brunch one day and she said, Would you ever take on a business partner? And I was like, Ah, uh, I'm pretty, I like to roll solo. I'm, you know, why are you asking this? And I'm like, Are you talking about yourself? And she said, yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, if it's you, she's so smart, way smarter than me. And I said, well, yeah, if it was you, I would definitely consider it. And she's been a director at Nike for years. She comes from the same product background I do, more strategy, me more creative. But we we think alike. Um, we puzzle things together. Very, We have a very similar process. And I said, well, yeah, if it was you, I wouldn't. She was like, okay. I said, okay, what are we doing? And she said, well, I'm about to, I'm going to get my MBA so that's going to take me two years. I'm, I just signed on to do that. And um, so I'm going to work, I'm going to be at Nike and I'm going to get my MBA. And I was like, okay, and you want to go into partnership with me? And she was like, well, yeah, like, why not? <laughs> and I was like, and okay. At this point, hearing this part of the conversation, I'm thinking you've got Nike and Adidas uh, backgrounds together. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be doing shoes. At nope. some- we both wanted to invest in our community. I mean, that's right. this whole, the whole thing, and we haven't even gotten to Nightwood yet, but we'll get there in a second. The whole thing is about investment into community. And that's, we both want to be close to our community. We both want to invest in our region. We're both values-based philosophers of business. And so it made sense, but then it's like, okay, well, there's no... Make, where's there's, the money? Where's the money? Where's the business plan? How do I do this? Who's modeling this? What mentors can can we invest in? And and so we spent the next two years of our MBA noodling this and, and really putting pen to paper. So at the end of the MBA, we had we had a business plan. Um, and then about six months before she graduated, um, Jason and I's relationship fell apart. And then I left the businesses. So I called her one morning maybe like a month later and I just called her and I said, you know, we, we need to do this for the community and we need it to be about all women because I have some things I want to, there's some things I want to do in the world. And those involve mentoring women and creating a safe space for the community to come and gather and share skills and, and Katie in very Katie fashion because she trusts me and God love her. She's just like, okay. <laughs> and then about two days later, uh, Christina uh, from Atala, Jose and Christina came to me and said, we're closing Chessa. And do you, you know, would you be? Two days later. It was, from when li- you said that? It was literally like within the week. Talk yes. about a perfect s- it was storm. In- and sadly for her, I know that was heartbreaking for was. Jose and Christina. It was. To close that. Mm-hmm. But to give that space some purpose. Yes. And the community purpose as well. Yes. It was really the, it was, it all came together at the right time. She and I sat down. I was leaving for London and two days and she and I, she was like, will you please just have coffee with me? And I said, I'm, I'm leaving for London in two days. Did she know you were she, on this path? Not really. That's what's so interesting. Really? This That's is the story of my life though. This energy exchange is the story of my life. So she and I, she said, no, I really need it to be before we, before you leave. I was like, okay, let's go. When somebody tells me that I'm, I'm going to go, I need oh, to sure. know, I need to know what's going on. So we went and had coffee. I mean, truthfully, I didn't know her. And I had my daughter with me. She and was out of school. How did she find you then if you didn't I mean, know we her. knew each other, but we weren't friends. I didn't know Chessa was closing. She didn't know I was starting this. So she, we sat I down. I find she's, that very interesting. There's something else going on there because she could have called lots of people. She Maybe she did call lots of people, right? There maybe. Were, yeah, they had to do something. So she called me. We had coffee. We talked about it. And... She said, let's go look at the space. We got in the car, went over there. I looked at everything, took had pictures, you ever been called there Katie. Before? I had been there once. Mm-hmm. Um, I called Katie and I said, there's an opportunity. This was in August um, and we signed papers in September. And then we did our first event October 14th, two years ago. Now, and 
were um were you had to have some investment very little dollars and you had to have a lot of confidence because I, I don't that. know. I the, have that in spades, right, thankfully. <laughs> but I don't know the ins and outs, but I assume yeah. that it was a pretty heavy duty investment and your your concept was solid as far as you were concerned, mm-hmm. but in terms of tangibles. Yeah. Was tough yeah. at that time. We took on very minimal investment. Very minimal. And then we funded a Kickstarter, which was this I had funded a Kickstarter at Elder Hall, so this was our second fund. So I knew how to do it. It's not it's not easy. It's one of the hardest things ever to do. Right. And people are shying away from Kickstarter now. And every time I else. do it, I say, I'm not going to do it again. Right. <laughs> but, um, but we did that. Um, we basically, Katie and I each made a small investment and then an equal contrib- We both were equal contributors. We took on two small angel investors um, that, that wanted to see the project happen. Uh, lovely, lovely people. And then we did Women? A Kickstarter. Women? One woman, one man. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's perfect, I think. Yeah, it was great. And then um, the Kickstarter. And then we just, we, did a, we didn't tear down and rebuild. We've, we've invested back in the space consistently over two years to get it where we want it. But we didn't let that stop us. We built a website without a space. We built a Kickstarter video without anything. I remember this when you were doing this. And I remember thinking, what? I, I don't get get it. Because it was a, it was an idea. Yeah, it was an idea. Yeah, it was an idea. I didn't fully get it, <laughs> and um, and I didn't say it then. And you know, not for me to say. You didn't need to hear what I think. But at the time, I didn't get it. And I probably you didn't fully get it at the time. You had a f- solid business plan, but you didn't. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think you ever really know what's going to happen. Part of being an and I'm a serial entrepreneur, but part of being an entrepreneur is believing that you can do it, but that you do not have all of the answers. Right. Like you just don't, you can plan, but you have to be so open to inflexible about what's going to, what's going to be. And you have to let things take shape. And the best laid plans do not always happen. Right. So and, investing a lot of energy and time into solid plans mm-hmm. for something that's never been done. And I will tell you that this was one of the benefits of opening the Nightwood with an all women crew is that I, I think that inherently we were much more flexible, less rigid than, say, you know, a, a CFO would have been, a, like a male CFO. We were, we were very open to what it would become and how it would breathe and change and move over time. We're, we weren't fixed to any idea. And, but, we were fixed to the values. Well, yes, but, I'm, I, but the fact that you were all women, it helped you to, I would think it helped you to base you in the mission yes right so everything yes. that you did had to anything anybody does successfully has yes. to have a solid foundation for a mission it has to come back you know when there are questions comes back to okay does this match you totally. know, are we straying or are we not and you have to come back to it over and over when you have purpose and that is when you write that down and you make that your mission and your vision for for anything then it's just about it's the north star and you mm-hmm. just orient to it all the time and you it, culturally you teach your you teach your people how to orient back to it and it's all cultural once you define the culture of any organization that is the thing you hold most dear mm-hmm. and you have to that you have to protect that above all of that <laughs> above all I, else because everybody will try to make you be something you're not or ask you to do say, stuff you don't want to do suggestion is you should do this right. and then you know, I, I, you had a few people involved, but I've kind of been running rogue for a long time, a yep. lone wolf. And yep. you tend to think, well, they're a smart person. Maybe I should do this. And then you think about it. No, that is not. It's not who I am. It's, it's not, not who what I am. Is. And it's not what I am. Pro, it's not what I want to do. Totally. Either. So, and you're going to make mistakes too. Like you'll, you'll do it. You'll throw an event. And you'll be like, oh, that was, that didn't feel right. Well, you just don't do it again. I mean, you learn from those. Um, I've never made a mistake. Never. No, never <laughs> happened. That's sad. <laughs> You're not learning very much then. Well, the good thing is I'm working on making mistakes. So I'm do- 2020 goal. Yeah. All it's, right. It's, it's, I'm going to check in with you in February and my, see how that's going. My goal every year is to shut up, by the way. <laughs> really? Yes, to shut up and listen and, and not do what we were talking about early on, which is just spew at the mouth without... Do you feel like that... Do you feel like that... Oh, I changing? think I made a, oh. I, some may dispute me. I'm sure my girlfriend would, but 
I think I've made a lot of progress in um, just letting, sitting back and not reacting right away. Right. I'm still not. Per- oh, I'm pause. far from perfect. Teaching but, people that all the time. My daughters especially. And the podcast too. I've had to learn. The only criticism I've gotten from a few listeners is we're not, we're not here to hear about you, your story. Gotcha. I'm like, well, well, it's I mean, woven in, though, right? I mean, that's part of in. the it's brand a conversation. How yeah. are we going to have a conversation if I don't throw a little bit of? I've had ex- an experience like sure. that, um, but I've tried to. There have been plenty of times now. I think I'm not going to say that. Good. Just let it go. That's not that important. Right. If I miss that point or that joke, that's the other thing. When we talk about, um, you know, feminism, I have learned. Oh, no, 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 don't even go there. Uh, things that used used to be okay and funny right. aren't funny any longer. Yeah. I mean, the world changes, right? Right. So Think about what was funny 100 years ago. Definitely not funny now. Well, yeah, not, it doesn't take long. And it's, um, it's, funny how, it's funny how you look at it and see, wow, that, why was that mm-hmm. funny at the time? Mm-hmm. I mean, you watch Mad Men. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, stuff the, that, the Cosby Show. Yeah. Sanford and Sons. I mean, think about the things that have been funny since the 50s. I love Lucy. My God. There was a scene <laughs> in the, and I, I, I think it was on Hulu or something. Oh, first of all, the Dick Cavett show was awesome to watch. And he was, <laughs> he was very good. He was never, there was never any misogyny with Dick Cavett, I don't think. <laughs> but let's go back further. I started watching uh, I, the things we were all, I was watching as a kid. I don't know if you were. Little Rascals episode. Mm. And there was an episode where Dar- oh, yeah. Darla, I'm watching this. First of all, the stuff with Stymie was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then, um, but Darla um, was, remember, I don't know, did you watch Little Rascals yeah. at all? Mrs. McGillicuddy yeah. was going to get married. Yeah. And so the boyfriend came by the school and they all didn't want Mrs. McGillicuddy to get married. So they wanted to be mean to this guy. But the first thing he does when he comes by and Darla's sitting out front is he keeps putting his arm around this eight-year-old. And she kept pushing the arm oh away. And he kept doing it. And I'm just like, I can't believe, you know, so that Culturally was, that was at the, the 30s. Time, though, right. Well, that's the thing. Right. And no, I don't think so you anybody think, think was, about it. Do you think in... In 20 years, will Portlandia be funny still? Uh, you know, it's a, it's that thing where the whole world's going to change. It's changing so fast. Yeah, but what? But, but there's a there's a balance between being so sensitive to I everything. Agree. I agree. And just saying, you know, and you referenced it before. There are there are wonderful differences between men and women, and some of those should be celebrated instead of yeah. every single thing is. Oh, wait a minute, you're, that's offensive. Yes. So um, we've gotten very, yes, that's, that's a whole other podcast, I think. But I agree with you. I think that we need to be able to be open and honest and share information, not, but not while hurting people's feelings, right? I think that the, the feelings hurt piece um, is where we kind of get caught. No one wants to offend anyone. No one wants to hurt anybody else's feelings and check. I mean, I don't want to, those are two things I don't want to do. I'm not aiming to do that. But we also have to be open to having conversations, being honest about making mistakes and just saying, like, I'm probably going to mess this up sometimes, but I'm I'm learning the language. I mean, pronouns is a perfect example. Pro- and uh, relationships. Yeah. I'm going to mess this up. <laughs> I'm not going to be perfect. So we're going to have to work. You're through. saying that for your girlfriend right now, aren't you? So she hears <laughs> I'm saying it for, you know, I was single for a long time mm-hmm. and. One of the reasons I was is because there was a there was a one strike and you're out mentality in dating. Oh goodness! And I felt that's that. unfortunate. Yeah, well, it's okay. You know, there's a there's a reason for everything, and but I felt I, it wasn't endemic like every single date. But I felt that over the years, I could do a hundred nice things, and then one thing I screwed up. That was it. And that's because you're not very far into it. You're not very invested in it. Right. But um, I will say that uh, my girlfriend has been awesome in recognizing (laughs) that because I make a lot of mistakes. Um, Oh, my God. It's been uh, almost a year and a half. Okay. And we travel a lot. It's still fresh. Yeah. Well, for me, a year and a half is not fresh. (laughs) I'm long into this. So it's good. You know, I never thought I'd get to a month or two months. So and I had an interesting beginning. But at any rate. I just did what I said I wasn't going to do, was not was yeah, But I, I baited you, though, so it's they can put it on me. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Whoever they might be. The, <laughs> all of you out there. Yeah, all of you out there. Um, but 
Where were we? The Can night you help wood. me here? Yeah, the night yeah, wood. Yeah, the night wood. So the night wood's two years old. We just had our two-year birthday party um, about three weeks ago. And it's just, it's been a blast. It's it, it's doing the things that Katie and I wanted it to do. It's a community hub. It's a conversation starter. Uh, our team is amazing. Men also work at the Nightwood, just so you know. Just good humans. Good humans, super talented, really wonderful. All, we're all on the same path. The team was sort of hand cobbled together in the beginning. We're still intact. It's great. We have a great time. We're really close. It's family. And the work is just the work. The work has been, it really has been profoundly changing to the whole team. If I'm going to speak for everyone. How large is the team? Um, Well, there's about six of us that are there all, you know, all the time. Okay, so you need to be developing a significant revenue stream to support six people and have the six work people is thrive. good. The work so is it's good. Going okay. Yeah, and I, I'm always curious yeah, in this no. food world because no one's ever and no one's transparent. No, right. yeah, we. I will say that from as a business person, um, we wrote plans and targets, and we've. I can say that we successfully have hit our targets and year in the two years that we've fantastic. year one year two. So we're going, we just started year three. Um, the Portland Monthly article that came out in September and they gave us the street cred of being the number one place in Portland to throw a party was huge. That was a huge catalyst for. Who wrote that? Um, I think that was Kelly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that was great. That's and awesome. It, it was a beautiful there, spread. There is, there is no dearth of places to show throw a party no. in Portland. That is High praise. Yeah, it was to, great. To have that happen. And so business has consistent, like any business you build, people find out about you, that network grows, another network grows. And because we have space, but we also produce offsite events all the time, it's it's reaching all of the, the groups of people you want to reach. And so many times we're hosting something in the day at Nightwood for a corporate offsite. And then in the, in the night, we're hosting a birthday party. 40th birthday party, but then we're hosting a wedding offsite at a vineyard. And so it's, it's really about experience and producing really memorable experiences for people. Those don't have to be at the Nightwood. Mm-hmm. It's more of an ideology. It's a, a way that we cook, a way that we serve, a way it's, it's the whole component of how we, how we give service and how we're in service to other people um, while maintaining our value set about food and wine and culture. And I think that that's the thing that comes through and that's why the build has been, it's been exponential because every time we reach another group of people, that network grows tenfold because then they tell 10 more people. So it's been great. I've been trying to utilize that philosophy, but that's where I've fallen short with Portland Food Adventures. I mean, I've been doing it for 10 years. It has not grown exponential. It's done fine. We're doing trips and we sell them out. But in terms of events, mm-hmm. uh, when I started it, there weren't many events at all. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, our second one was at Ned Ludd. With That's right. Jason cooking, talking to 25 people, doing six courses for 25 people with right. one server, which I thought was <laughs> insane. <laughs> but in those days, there were not ticketed events. Right. And now, oh, my God, there's so there's And so you're many. right at the forefront of it. And, I, you know, it's, we're in Portland, so I never look at it and think, oh, they're getting in the way. Or It's what it is there's more of it and i think it's great people think in terms of ticketed events and we hope we host way more private events than we sell ticketed events right we host i mean maybe that's my that, that's what we're doing thanks. most of thanks for doing some free <laughs> consulting for me that's where i've been falling short and i've done private things but anyway, anyway. <laughs> but you're also rolling solo yeah you're right different yeah because it's I, just I, one it's 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 you instead of like a culture of you're right, and I've made that conscious decision, right. and you said we make mistakes sometimes. Sometimes I think it's great, and sometimes I think it was, you know, uh, I I could have done better, or I still could do better. I'm still doing it. Yeah. Um, but I did that with my ad agency, too. So right. I made a— That's right. There was years ago, I was doing great. I had lots of business, and I called a friend of mine who owned an ad agency and said, okay, I'm, I'm a sole person with freelancers, do uh, should I grow this? And mm-hmm. he he said, "How much are you making?" And blah blah blah. And he said, "Dude, I have thirty five employees I have to worry about, and I'm making way less than you are. 
stick to it. <laughs> stick to it, and I did for years. It worked for a long time, but nothing's going to work forever. No. Um, and that's how I felt about the con- the consultancy that I had started almost 20 years ago. And then when I pivoted to to start working in food and, and changed the consultancy and changed the kinds of work I was doing, part of that was just me, but part of that was forward thinking. I mean, it, the old model wasn't going to work forever. I if ha- you work with somebody and they're assholes, I don't work with them. I get to make that call. Right, but my point is in almost 10 years now, I have run had very few instances where I've thought I'll never I'll never talk work with that person again or You've I'll, not worked in a restaurant, right? No, right, exactly. Well, there you go. Right. And mine are kind of they're a little touch and goes. So, right. you, you know, dip in, you dip out. I uh, dip in shortly and then yeah, it's going to be over with on November <laughs> 9th and we're we're done. But very rarely are the, do I mean, in 80 events, right? You're going to find yeah, you know, like a couple. I, I do think couple. it's getting better. I do, I do think it is culturally. I do believe it is getting better. Yeah. Well, no one's abusive, but just the way they acted. But very interestingly, the only people that I've ever had any kind of friction with, they're not only out of the business, they're out of town. Mm, yeah. So I don't know if that's a coincidence. Small, it's small here. Yeah. I mean, you can't really. I don't know that you can be that way and continue to run a business here. Not here. It's a small world, right? Yeah. And it's super supportive. So I'm, I would tell everybody not to go if I wouldn't support that kind of business. And I would tell my network not to support that kind of business because there's a lot of people that need the dollars and need our support. Right. Case in point with Maylene having to close, I mean, closing the Oyster Bar. I don't know the ins and outs, but there are good people that we need to keep in business and we need to vote with our dollars. She's got such a big heart. And one of the people that has always done this from her heart, Mm -hmm. right? There's. Yep. So it's good to see. So what do you have? Uh, we're time goes fast, right? This is one of the good ones. We haven't even talked about Burgerville yet. No, you wanted to talk about Burgerville. Well, I'll just mention the the consult because so we, so Katie and I consult as well within the the part of the fabric of the Nightwood is, consulting other food businesses to help bring their vision to life when the values align. So about a year and a half ago, Burgerville um, came to Katie and I and asked if we would work on a project with them to bring, to bring this burger to market called it's now called the number six burger, which is a regional restoration project, regenerative agriculture project that we worked with Carmen ranch and we built a whole community. So it's Carmen ranch face rock cheese out of Bandon and uh, Grand Central Bakery uh, did the bun. And we used two local mills, Camas Country Mill and Smalls Family Farm up in Washington for the milled flowers, milled grains. So um, that was the beginning, uh, but that has now transitioned into an enormous project. And so Katie and I are um, pretty much full-time Burgerville at this point, and I'm running all of creative and marketing, and she's running ops and strategy. And so what how, What does that do to the night with... Society. Nothing. I mean, it, it really is in service. On well, because Katie and I aren't working full time on the Nightwood business. I mean, we set that business up to to run with us as leaders and, mm-hmm. and visionaries, but we, we're not there every day. We're not there every week. And the team is so solid. And uh, Leah and Sarah, Sarah runs the kitchen and Leah runs everything else. And they have their teams on lock. And Katie and I come in for HR and 401k and benefits and those sorts of meetings. And I create a vision and then the team runs with the vision and gets everything done. That is, um, I, uh, I'm, I marvel at what you're talking about and I'm not just blowing smoke. <laughs> um, cause you see, you, well, as I said, we haven't been able to sit down mm-hmm. before you're so solid in what you're doing and and you're saying Katie's on top of, you know, at a higher level than you are. Oh yeah. Katie's way very, smarter than me. I mean, humble. I will always say that. <laughs> well, that's very humble of you, but I'm sure you didn't take lightly who you surrounded yourself with at the company too. No. So, um, yeah, there, there's no, after listening to you for how long now? Almost an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see why that, why the Nightwood Society, other than experiencing some events there and some things you've done, I can see why it's just rocking it. So uh, what do you have? How are you going to rock it in the next year? What is the plan? Oh, geez. <laughs> like, I just got to get through holiday parties. <laughs> yeah, there are a few, we I'm have sure. so many. December, really between 
September and end of year, it's nonstop because we do so much in support of Feast in September. And there's still so many people getting married. And September is a huge wedding month. So between weddings and Feast, that takes us through September, weddings into October, and then holidays starts in November. So we will be, I, I mean, we've got to have 30 holiday parties in December. It's insane. And they're and still booking. How do you find balance? You have kids. You I have, do. I have two you, daughters. And you, and you have two, you know, you have a multifaceted business. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you spending any time for yourself? Because that's important. You're at a great little bits time in here your life. And there, little bits yeah. here and there. Not a lot. But uh, I mean, I, I'm very, anybody that knows me, and you'll, you'll know me well, I'm sure, within this next year. But uh, I prioritize fun. Fun is a huge thing for me and I don't take it lightly. And so I always make space for it. Um, May not happen as often as I would like, but I like to laugh. I like to have a good time. And so I'll always make time to do that with my people, with my daughters. And then for me, it's like water. So soaking or, you know, massage, going to not springs, those sorts of things go a long way if I just get a small period of time. So I try to tap out and take a, you know, half day for myself once a week just to reset. But yeah, it's busy. So what's on your bucket list if you had a week or two to go anywhere that you wanted to go? Or do whatever you wanted mm. to do. It could be local, of course, but yeah. I tend to think of, you know, where do you want to... And you're well-traveled. It's not like you're... Yeah, but I've got. I've definitely have... This is about the time of year when I get the travel bug. Mm-hmm. And where, where are you thinking? I really want to go to Italy next year. It's been years, and I've been all through Italy, but I would... I want to do the southern. I haven't done the southern part of Italy. You ever been to Sicily? I have not been to this Sicily. This is the perfect segue. I did not. I did not trigger you to do this. No. To say this, but we have a trip to Western Sicily in the oh, fall, and you were talking about beautiful. wanting to uh, host. But we have a beautiful host, Austri. And, oh yeah, she and, did some things with um, Jason and I at Elder Hall way back in the day. Right. Uh-huh. She's wonderful. Yeah. So she does a lot of planning, and I actually have a little something up my sleeve that I was thinking. To add to her, add to that, enhance it. So, um, but at any rate, still you can come. We can find a way for you. Maybe I'll just come. Yeah. <laughs> well, people make friends for life. And totally. That's the that's the thing, and I bet you that's part of the what you found about the food business when you started it. Mm-hmm. You were seeing food and resourcing and. And design, how it all, design. how creativity and design and but, food came together. Yeah. But now that you're doing events, how pleasing is it to see? that what you've built is giving people experiences that will, that create joy in this otherwise, if you're watching media kind of shitty time to give them some, a night where they can forget it all. It's all about experience. I mean, those memorable, those things that you can imprint into someone's memory, uh, a bite of food, the lighting, the sound, when all of those things can come together, it's, It's totally magical. We get, I'm not just saying this, but we get so many thank you cards at the Nightwood. It's wild for hosting their event that they're paying for. It's just, we, the connections that are made there, you'll never forget them. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not staying in touch, which we, I mean, my network now has grown leaps and bounds because of doing this work. The Mm -hmm. communities that I live in in Portland are so, it's like otherworldly. If I need anything, I can just pull and call that that person most of the time. Women, not always, but most, because I live in a lot of female founder communities in Portland and, you know, people raising funds for women businesses and accelerator programs. And and so because I also run in those groups of people, everything is at your fingertips. You just call somebody and they go, yeah, call this person. And I, I trust them. So I, I don't even have to vet that person. I just call them up. <laughs> right. And it's, it's, great. it's just part of the fabric of this community that yeah. that happens. As I said, I, you know, you're from the East Coast, but there, no one would tell you to go to the restaurant across the street. No. They would never no. found, come back here. We'll take care. Yeah. yeah. That was. So. And, I, and I do miss the, I, that's the one thing I do miss about the South is the hospitality, the open the door, the come inside, the sit at my table, here's food, like that. That I really miss about the South. Not that we don't have it here, but I it looks a little different. I think it's a generational thing, too. So you had that then. Yeah. And I don't know if it'd still be like that now, but I think there's certain something. Yeah. Certain <laughs> something. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Court's yeah. giving us the one signal. <laughs> 
Okay, that mean, court. Does that mean we're number one? <laughs> yes, it does. Number one for wrapping this bad boy up. <laughs> no, I hate wrapping this up. It's Aww. a great conversation. I hope we have the opportunity. We should do, do a series. We should do. Well, I have an I have an idea. We'll talk about because right. I I hate to throw ideas out that either don't come to fruition or whatever. But uh, as soon as the as soon as court in five four three two one turns this off, I have an idea. Okay. We'll talk thank about you, it but offline. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having for me. For coming, me, uh, coming here. <laughs> Don't edit that out. <laughs> yeah, no. But, no. <laughs> no, but it's. It, I knew this would be easy, and the easy ones go really fast. So yeah, um, thanks. Let's. We got to do it again. We yeah. have. I just want to mention. Um, so it's. I just realized mm-hmm. the irony of having you here and our. We generally record a couple in a row. We have Micah Camden oh, awesome. coming in. You're going to pass him. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that Opposites. would actually be that would actually be funny. You want to interview Micah? Opposites. <laughs> On behalf of Burgerville? That would be hilarious. Yeah. That Let's would, do that. Let's tee that up for next time. That's what I think would be a good idea. We could do it now. but We are not doing that right now. I, I have to prep for that one. <laughs> yeah, you have to think about it a little while. But, um, you know, Micah does so many new things. We've had him on. It's Very fun. creative guy. Yeah, he's great. So, um Thank you again. Thank you. And we'll see you soon. And um, what's new that we should be eating at Burgerville? The number six burger. The, oh, and the Bliss Shakes. Is it there right now? Yeah, only certain locations, but Portland proper, yeah. Uh, the number six burger and the Bliss Shake, that'd be my go-to. Beautiful. And if you go to our new food cart in Slabtown, waffly fries all the time, which is not always in the restaurants. Yeah, and I love the onion rings when they're there. Oh, yeah, the Walla Wallas. The Walla Wallas. They're yeah, we have fantastic. some fun things coming next year, though. And all the berry shakes, all the, the flavored lemonades, we all, have the, a, all the things that create uh, lots of diabetic problems. The new the new shake menu is incredible, all local. You guys are no longer number one at wrapping this thing up. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right, all right, all right. Thank you. All right, bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. <laughs>